many, many years ago when I was in preacher training, they told us that you had to come up with a very catchy title for your sermon so that people would uh, somehow have an interest picked within it. Friday morning I woke up with a title for this lesson instead of being the six woes from Isaiah 5 to be a sin-saturated society seeking satisfaction. I can't say that again without messing it up. I will tell you that when you start going to the Bible, you can find God's Word looking at people and looking at them and seeing them as they really are and how God wants them to be. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 31, Jesus says, To what will I liken the men of this generation? You look out and you say, what are they like and why are they where they are and how did they get where they are? Well, I think there's some passages in the Bible that are just so um, interesting that they draw you in and and you, you read that first part. And as we begin our lesson, we understand God always cares for his people. He wants the best for every generation of men. He wanted the best for Israel and Judah. He wanted the best for those men of the first century. And God wants the best for those of us who live in the United States, in the state of Tennessee, in Warren County, in the city of McMinnville. He wants us to be what we ought to be. And yet, when I go to the Bible, I find Israel in the 8th century B.C. was very similar to the 1st century and also very similar to our society today. In fact, if I were to ask you to list some of the real problems of our society, in other words, this generation, what is the problems? I think you'd say, well, we have political and business corruption. You look around about us, and how many of us have confidence in our leaders, regardless of what party they're a part of? How many of us look at our businesses and feel like that Many of them are being operated because they are trying to operate on an honest perspective. I think most of us would say, well, whatever they can get by with is what they're seeking to get by with. We have social decay. They had social decay in that time in the 8th century. You have people treating one another badly. You have people taking advantage of one another. You have people who are doing things that are sinful. And then you have a moral depravity. You have people practicing all kinds of immoral behavior. We can see it in the first century. We saw it in the eighth century, and we can see it today. And what we see is is that God asked the question, what more could I have done? I want to draw your attention back to verse 4 and also verse 7. What more could have been done to my vineyard than I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? God has prepared and planned and provided everything that everyone needs to do what is right. As Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, that his divine power has granted unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. 
But you drop down to verse 7 and he says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. I want you to think with me as we're going to look through verses 8 and following of six different woes that were pronounced upon the people. You can see them. They're very clear. The very first word of each of these verses begins with the word woe, a word which indicates the bad situation they're in. It indicates the pronouncement of God's displeasure upon them and why He is displeased with them. Let's begin, first of all, looking at verses 8 through 10. Woe to those who join house to house. They add field to field till there's no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. In my hearing, the Lord of hosts said, Truly many houses shall be desolate, great and beautiful ones without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and one omer of seed shall yield an ephah. Now, what he's talking about is covetousness, the sin of greed. These greedy landowners didn't just have ambition. They had a selfish ambition. It wasn't as if they wanted to do well and add to what they had a little bit more or even much more. They wanted to have everybody to the point where there was no place for anyone to live in a broad land. We have people today who are motivated by an intense greed. I didn't put it in my outline because it really has just become more and more uh, apparent the last two or three days. But there are some people who are going out and they're buying lottery tickets by the dozens and they just as well throw their money in the trash can. These people want not to have a good living, and if they saved their money, they they used it well, they would have a good living. But no, I've got to go buy a lottery ticket with the hopes that I'm going to get $100 million or $900 million. No. The foolishness of men. What's sad is these people were willing to abuse others to get it. Micah, the parallel prophet, said in Micah 2 and verse 2, they covet fields and take them by violence also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. Oh, but that's my land. I inherited it from my fathers. I don't care. I'm going to take it if I have the power to do so. In Jeremiah 22, verses 13 through 17, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice who uses his neighbor's services without wages and gives him nothing for his work. We could go on, but I think you get the picture. These are people who are willing to take advantage of others simply because it's in their power to do so. They want it all. Jesus warned in Luke 12 and verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consider in the abundance of the things he possesses. Proverbs twenty-two sixteen: He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. 
God's attitude toward this was, these were despicable, and it's just as despicable today as it was in the first century and in the 8th century B.C. Now let's pick up with the second one found in verses 11 through 17 and also verse 22. Very relevant to today. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night till the wine inflames them. The harp, the strings, the tambourine, and the flute And the wine are in their face, but they do not regard the work of the Lord, nor consider the operation of his hands. Therefore my people have gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished. The multitude is dried up for thirst, with thirst. Therefore Sheol has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure. Their glory shall be their multitude and their pomp and he who is jubilant shall descend into it people shall be brought down each man shall be humbled and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment and God who is holy shall be hallowed in righteousness then the lambs that feed in their pasture and the waste places of the fat ones shall strangers eat dropping down to verse 22 woe to men mighty at drinking wine Woe to valiant men for mixing intoxicating drink. You see, the carnality of these people was that it was illustrated by their desire for alcohol. Men that want to drink early and drink often, get up in the morning, got to have a drink. All day long they drink. Don't tell me we don't live in an alcohol-saturated society. You can't go into a grocery store without hardly finding it on every corner. You can't even go into most of the places and sit down and eat a a meal without someone around you and bringing these intoxicating beverages to their table. Whether it is at the highest level or even on our local level, it seems as if no one wants to restrict, to segregate, to get rid of it. We want to just make it more accessible. We want to tell our children, oh, that's okay, that's, that's all right to do. And God pronounces a woe upon them for this. This is a personal peeve of mine, I guess. But there's so many passages which prove it to be sinful and wrong. Proverbs 29 23, 29 through 32. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. In Habakkuk 2, verse 15 and 16, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing his bottle to him, even to make him drunk that he may look on his nakedness. And God tells them their shame is going to be exposed because of that. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, as he begins to list the works of the flesh, 
and he describes all of these things for which a person will not inherit the kingdom of God, he says to them in verse 21, envy, murders, drunkenness, don't miss the word revelries, that's drinking parties. Yes, to go embrace and imbibe in alcoholic beverages is sinful and it is wrong. And for those who claim to be Christians, you ought to be ashamed of yourself if you support such. In 1 Peter 4 verse 3, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. You see, it was a part of their generation. It was a part of ours as well. As I drop down to verses 18 and 19, he talks about being captives to sin. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if with a cart rope that say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. Now the usage of these words seems to indicate a vivid description of a man who's got so many sins, he's got to load them up on a cart. And he's got to take a rope and he's got to drag or pull that burden along. You see, people somehow become so addicted to their sins, they can't let go of them. They've got to keep pulling them around like they're pulling around a cart. And the Bible does say we can become captives to sin. It can grab a hold of us. Proverbs 5, 22 and 23, His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he's caught in the cords of his sin. 2 Timothy 3, 6 and 7 he says, for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. In 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, he talks about these people in the last part of verse 26. He says, having been taken captive by him to do his will. People for whom sinfulness has become a way of life. The writer of the book of Hebrews would put it like this. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And then Romans 7 and verse 23. He says, but I see in another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Folks, what you see in the 8th century B.C., what you see in the 1st century, and what you see in our generation today is exactly the same. We look and we see people who are addicted to uh, drugs. We see people who are addicted to sexual deviant behavior. We can see people addicted to all kinds of sins. Then drop down with me now to verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What you find is a generation 
that are confused in their morals. These people do not know the right from the wrong. And oh, how many things could I talk about with our generation today? Proverbs 17:15, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them are like are an abomination to the Lord. You mean if I take something that is sinful and I praise it, or if I take something that's good and I condemn it, that's an abomination to God? Absolutely. Do you know the Planned Parenthood was selling T-shirts that says, I had an abortion? Celebrating the murder of unborn children. I can't imagine anybody wanting to celebrate the murder of an innocent child. Or men who call homosexuality an alternative lifestyle. No, it's not an alternative. As if I can choose vanilla or chocolate or strawberry for my ice cream. Leviticus 20 verse 13 says, If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure that out. For a person to somehow feel like that they can participate in all this deviant behavior. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, Let marriage be had in honor among all, and let the bed be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. But you let one of us today preach the truth from God's word, and we're going to be labeled a bigot, a homophobe, or something such as that. Those people in the 8th century who tried to teach the truth, like Isaiah, like Micah, were portrayed as being people that were not to be listened to. When you get to verse 21, he said, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. You see, we have people in this world today who believe that they are intelligent enough on their own, without God, to be able to decide their own system or standards. You know, when we opposed the alcohol issue, there are people who are saying, why are you Christians trying to bind your morality upon us? We'll have our own standard of morality. We, we want to choose what we want to do without your opinion, without your word of God. We don't want to follow God. I saw a bumper sticker that said, if you don't want to go to church now, why do you want to go to heaven? If you're not happy going to church, you're not happy worshiping God, then why would you want to go to heaven? Most of us don't want to be punished, I think is what it is. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. 
Or Romans 1, verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Romans eleven twenty five. for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Or Proverbs 30, verse 12, there's a generation that is pure in their own eyes and yet are not washed from its filthiness. Jeremiah 10, verse 23, O Lord, I know the way of man. It is not in man who walks, it's not a man himself, man who walks to direct his own steps. Now go to, with me to verse 23. Who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the justice before the righteous man. Justify the wicked for a bribe. Would you suggest that today we have a corrupt justice system? that is based upon bribery? And someone would say, oh, no, 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 we we couldn't have that. Because if you had the exchanging of money, then you would have some sort of proof. But money is not the only standard of wealth. Sometimes people exchange a bribe for I will give you another position or I will put you in a place of honor or I will elevate you to do something for someone else to pervert justice. How else could our Supreme Court decide some of the things that they have decided recently with regards to moral issues? Oh, you mean there's something else that they might be interested in? Exodus 23, verses 6 through 9. You shall not pervert judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter and do not kill the innocent and righteous. For I will not justify the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Also you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the hearts of the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Do you see the first part? He's talking about favoring the poor man. No, you you don't pervert justice. For anyone, Proverbs seventeen twenty three, a wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the ways of justice. Second Chronicles nineteen verse seven. Now therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you, and take care to do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality nor taking of bribes. You see, our God doesn't act that way. Neither should we as children. Now when I get to the end, and we've seen those six woes in Isaiah 5. And you read those and you think, you know, I wonder why they didn't change. They had Isaiah, the statesman prophet. They had Micah, Morasheth, the the prophet of the plain, common, everyday people. Those men there were trying to persuade the people to change. And and look where it led. Look at the the downfall that it brought. And we look back and we say, why didn't they change? Have you ever considered when our children look back on our generation and they look and see the destruction, the chipping away of the foundation of our society today and say, Mama and Daddy or Grandmother and Grandpa, 
Why didn't you do something to turn our nation around, to turn our people around? The change must take place in ourselves. We've got to be a people committed to God and to His will and to do the things that God would have us to do. Tonight, if you will, take your songbook out and let's prepare to sing the invitation song. We can take God's Word and we can open it, study it, learn from it, but unless we apply it, it does us no good. If you look at your life, and I know there are people in our audience who have not yet become Christians. When some of you do, many times you will tell me, I've heard what was said for months and months, and I just didn't react on it. I know what I should have done. Why not tonight make the decision to become a Christian? You can do that so easily. Because of your faith, repent of your sins. Confess that faith and be baptized. And if you're a Christian and you need to make a change in your life, now's the time. While together we stand and sing.